Unspoken word with Eagle Goldkind. Unspoken word is seldom silent, often drowning out what is actually said. This podcast series consists of poems, music, therapies, and speculative realisms relevant to our current state of turbulent circumstance. Derived from my new book, Take a Deep Breath, Living with Uncertainty, the new collection by myself, a poet, Igor Goldkind, dedicated to demonstrating the benefits of applying poetry and philosophy to everyday life. In this series, we will be covering a variety of esoteric topics, including how trying to be spiritual is immaterial, hypogenic states, and how the personal is always political. Oh, and why America is such a fundamentally racist and violent place to live. Thank you, and uh, good evening, good day, good afternoon. Good midnight. Whatever time you happen to be listening to this, I appreciate your tuning in. I just want, need to really thank my friend uh, Jair Rome Parker Wells, maestro, bass player, composer, whose music has accompanied my podcast. I'm sorry for the occasional electronic sounds, variances, part of the noise in the background. This is my second podcast in this series. And uh, I'm an amateur, as we all are. I'm a beginner. I'm trying. Let's see where we can go from here. Today, I want to cover a couple of topics, um, primarily to do with the police. And currently, if you are attuned at all to the channels of media, all of the channels of media that are available to us, you know that there is an epidemic of police violence in our country. This is a crisis. This is a crisis in authority, a crisis in law enforcement, and a crisis in violence. It's an American crisis. But as we all know, those of you listening from other nations, What's America's problem today becomes the world's problem tomorrow. I have no opinions to offer. I have observations to offer. And right now, the police are shooting our citizens. Randomly, aggressively, 
with every excuse in the book to cover their tracks. We have young people of color who are prey for those public servants who are hired and sworn to protect us, the public. Now, I have encountered my own experience with the brutality and sadism of the San Diego police. Unfortunately, I cannot describe my experience that occurred just last week because there is a legal consequence and a court case pending, docked and pending. So unfortunately, to protect my own ass, I cannot tell you why I am so angry. But I went through the phases. I went through shock, disbelief, denial, then grief, depression, anxiety. And now I'm in the stage of anger. I am going to react thoughtfully and strategically because my particular incident is merely a microcosm of what every American is facing, which is a real threat from the authorities who were hired to protect us. Vent my spleen. I would like to play you a poem. This uh, poem is from my new book, Take a Deep Breath, Living with Uncertainty. It sets the frame for what we will discuss, what I will discuss with you. So listen to my poem, and we can start from the same place, the same page. Paper bag. You're a paper bag, you know. You're not the smart one. You're not the successful one. You're not the taller one who always won and then died. You're a paper bag. You're only as good as what you can carry. You are a paper bag. You're not plastic or steel, not you. You are paper. Rough, brown, and thin. You're not waterproof either, you know. And you can't hold any liquids or gases within. You only have room for the stuff that really matters. You're a paper bag. You're only as good as what you can carry. You are a paper bag. Wrinkled and used and often abused. Thrown on the floor. Buried deep inside your drawers. You're a paper bag that sometimes falls apart. You are only as good as what you can carry. Part of the reason for this podcast is to try and demonstrate how poetry and philosophy and the so-called esoteric, flaky, spacey arts can actually assist us 
to cope with what we're coping with on a day-to-day -day basis. I certainly have been using poetry as a form of self-therapy, as a form of making sense out of what doesn't make sense in my own life. I also practice a discipline called poetry therapy, which attempts to help others work through their coping strategies by recognizing and focusing on what their issues are. As I said before, my issue is the police who scare me. Badges and guns scare me. And I am sure that many listening may not be able to relate to that fear, but my direct experience gives me just cause to be terrified of the police. Rather than go into the details as to how I emotively, psychologically, experientially arrived at this terror of the police, I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump ahead to the conclusion. My conclusion, which I'm sharing with you now. And my conclusion is the only way to deal with the epidemic of violence that the police are imposing throughout all of our cities, everywhere. Every day, there is another unjust, unjustified killing of a citizen. The fact that these citizens tend to be young and people of color is beside the point. The point is that the people who we have employed institutionally are now posing a bigger threat than the criminals or so-called threats, the outlaws, that we employed them to protect our property from. Make no mistake, prior to my own denouement of the role the police play currently in American society, I never expected more from the police. I was raised just like you to respect the police, to honor the police, to think of them as who you turn to when you can't, when you're at, when your life is at threat, who you turn to when someone steps outside of our consensus, our laws, our order, and does us damage or threatens us with damage. I was raised that way. Experience has taught me otherwise. However, I was never so naive as to not understand that the police are mainly employed to protect property, the property of its citizens. The greatest outrage, almost universal, against Black Lives Matter, against the protests that we saw, the justified protests that we saw in the last uh, year, was always about the property. But what about black businesses? What about all these enterprises that are being shut down and, and being burnt? Uh, we must protect ourselves from these uh, radicals, from these uh, horrible, horrible people who are burning down our cities and our, our, our neighborhoods in Portland, in, in Chicago, in... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somehow, the property damage has displaced the human damage. 
BLM is not out shooting people. Antifa, if it indeed even exists, Antifa isn't shooting people. The people who are shooting people are the police. This isn't my opinion. You just have to look at the stats. You have to look at the daily, daily incident reports throughout our country of the police using lethal violence as their first recourse. Why this is happening is not really the point. The point is that it's happening at all. And that's why we're in a state of crisis. I don't want to dwell on convincing you. If you don't believe me, well, too bad. I'm just reporting what I am observing. And this is what I have observed, and you can check it yourself. Now, I have a solution. And my solution is a private sector solution. My solution is what any corporation or institutional body would adopt given a similar set, given a similar set of circumstance. If a government body found that it had rampant corruption or rampant disabuse by its personnel of its standards and its rules, a couple of people they get fired or investigated, fired. But when it's whole, a whole department or several departments in which there are multiple daily incidents of disabuse of its function, they would adopt a very similar approach as the state of California did when it, in December of 2020, not too long ago, when it found that it responded to the rumors of fraud, unemployment benefit fraud, with a response that involved the suspension of all claims. Every applicant, every worthy applicant, entitled to collect their own money back, unemployment insurance, and their unemployment benefits with the EDD, were stricken from the list in California and forced to reapply to verify their identity and verify that they weren't committing fraud. I think that approach, as brutal as it was, shows precedent. And that's the approach I suggest and I believe is the only answer in dealing with the police. Let me be clear with you. What I am suggesting, what I am advocating is that all of the police, all police forces, local, state, and federal, throughout the entire United States, be fired. That's right, fired. All the police need to be fired and forced to reapply for their jobs. Let me unpack that a little bit, because that's precisely what the state of California required of all EDD recipients, that they be suspended, their benefits cut off for some six to eight weeks, until such time as everyone could prove that they were worthy of the benefit. They had to prove their identity through online video verification, 
they had to reapply with all the documentation that they originally used, and they had to wait until their application, having been resubmitted, was reevaluated and either approved or disproved. This is what we need to do with the police. All the police need to be fired and forced to reapply for their jobs. Why? Because when your garden gets overrun by weeds, you have to pull them all out, including the plants, including the good plants. You pull them all out, and then you replant the plants you want and discard the weeds, because the weeds will kill the garden, and the police are killing America. I'm not anti-police. But rather than defund them, or refund them, or investigate them, or reform the police, we're well past that sell-by date. The crisis is epidemic. The second pandemic in America is police violence against its citizens. Our enemy is domestic. And because we, do, we cannot afford the process, the lengthy process of investigation and careful, meticulous discernment between weeds and plants, we need to start with a radical approach. Again, fire all the police and oblige them to reapply for their positions, if indeed they want to continue in a system which has been corrupted and degraded and subverted. Probably, again, this is now my opinion, as I have no evidence to back this up, but my instincts tell me that the cause of police violence currently, the crisis of police violence, is due to the infiltration of the police by white supremacist groups. White supremacist groups and nationalist groups. Call them what you will. We used to call them the alt-right until they got serious, until they posed a real dramatic, uncontestable threat to American democracy, as manifested in the insurrection of January 6th wherein indeed there was a lack of police presence that was manipulated by higher forces, probably in the White House. Again, that's my opinion. That's my instinct. That's my intuition. My intuition is that the crisis in the police force has been caused by a deliberate, orchestrated infiltration of the national police forces in every county and state in the Union by white supremacists by those who are systematically trying to eliminate people of color and their sympathizers. How can you be sympathetic to a color? How can you be sympathetic to a culture, to a, a person of color? It, it's a misnomer. They're, they've infiltrated so that they can wage war against America. They are our internal threat, our internal enemy. They hold positions in Congress, 
They hold positions in courts as judges, high court judges, I believe all the way to the Supreme Court. And these white nationalists, these racists, because that's what they are, these racists are at war with America. And until we start using our institutions and our laws to address this crisis, we are all at risk. You know the poem. First they came for the Jews, but I wasn't Jewish, so I did nothing. I spoke, did not speak out. Then they came for the uh, pastry makers, but I wasn't a pastry maker, so I didn't speak out. And then they came for me, but there was no one left to speak out for me. You who are listening to this are at that edge. Because they will come for you. When they pull you over, when they stop you on the street, when someone makes a complaint, they will come for you. And right now is your time to speak up and to say no. We need to fire the police. Don't fuck the police. Fire the police. Fire them and make them reapply for their jobs. How does that work practically, you say? You think. I second guess your thinking. Very easily. Like any corporate or radical restructuring of any corporation or institution, there has to be a smooth transition. It's very easy. You don't relieve the police of their duties when you fire them. You just place them all on contractual suspension. Firing while they reapply. Their part, their role in reapplying is that they have to pass exams. The exams are not about how quick you can draw your gun or how many targets you can hit or how to restrain a suspect or how to use tear gas or other military weaponry. No. The exams will be about the history of civil rights. Every policeman in America needs to know the law of the land, not the laws that they've decided they want to know or enforce, the laws of the land. Civil rights are our American basic rights, and no policeman should be employed who does not understand them inside and out. The second exam needs to be about the history of race relations in America. So much, so much of the evil that I see in my country right now is caused by a deliberate ignorance of our own history. This country was founded on the blood of slaves. This country would not be a great country if not for the labor, sweat, and mental contribution of the generations who are descendants of those we kidnapped, those colonialists kidnapped from Africa and brought against their will in slaves to be our labor. America would not be a rich country if not for its history of slavery. We need to make sure the police know their history the history of America. They need to know about what led up to the Civil War and the, and the freeing of the slaves. They also need to know the consequence of the Reconstruction and the Jim Crow laws that were enforced in the South. 
These laws are unacceptable. They are part of a shameful history. And they need to be, our enforcers need to know that. They need to know that we denounced and rejected Jim Crow laws because they're not American. Race relations in America must be mandatory for any serving officer to not just understand or hear, but study and know inside and out. Psychological testing, which isn't obvious. There are many, many serving officers who have histories of mental illness, violent mental illness, and those, those officers need to be weeded out. They need to be not rehired and never, ever hired again in any police force in any state of the Union. Second disqualification for reapplying for your job. If you have ever belonged to a nationalist, nativist, or supremacist organization, doesn't matter when, if you belong to one, the Nazi Party, the Ku Klux Klan, the America First, the nationalist right-wing organizations, that should serve as immediate disqualification for serving as a police officer. Third disqualification, any history of domestic violence. So many of our violent police who have shot and killed, have histories of beating up their partners, of hurting women, and hurting children. And yet that blue club always covers it up so that cops can keep their jobs. No more. That has to end. If you have a history of domestic violence, if you have struck your woman, your wife, your partner, any woman, pardon the possessive term, not your woman, the woman you know, the woman you claim to love. If you have ever struck her or done violence against her, you are no longer qualified to be a police officer. Ever. Anytime, ever again, in no county, city, state, or federal institution in the country. Period. There are other qualifications as well, but I'm not an expert. I'm just saying what I think is absolutely logical, absolutely common sense. We have violent murderers serving in the police. Men and women with guns and badges who are out of control. And the only way we're going to control them is to fire them all. Fire all of the police and force them to reapply for their jobs on new criteria, American criteria. You got to know your history. You got to know what race relations is about. You have to be psychologically tested. You are disqualified if you belong to a ever belong to a nationalist organization, and you are disqualified if you ever struck a woman or a child. Period. Obviously, there are other qualifications that can be added to that. 
for this reapplication process. And uh, I think a couple of units of college might be good for a couple of policemen. I am astounded when I was astounded when I learned that there is no educational qualification for a policeman. I think you have to have a high school diploma. But that means that you're not exposed to really modern and rational ideas on how we're supposed to comport and treat each other. I say this from the experience of having lived in half a dozen other countries in my life with police, with police, who in many instances may have achieved, you know, been aggressive in many ways or unfair or unjust. However, the overriding imperative with police from other nations is that they view themselves, even before they apply, even when they were kids thinking about becoming one, they always see themselves as primarily servants of the public. Our police are out of control. They see the public as prey. And this is what we have to change. You who are listening to this can do something. Join the campaign. It's not organized. It's not me. It's people who are afraid of what the police can do. And we've got to stop them. Again, I think the only way we can stop the police or get a police force that protects and represents the citizens of our country, of the United States, is to fire them. Don't fuck the police. Fire them. Fire them and make them reapply. take a deep breath thank you for listening to my anger but anger is okay when it's justified anger is okay when it leads to action to thought to critical thinking anger is okay a deal of anger to express yesterday when I made this recording but today on my birthday April 20th uh, we've had the verdict from 12 jury members of the uh, policemen's peers who have found him guilty on all three counts. Accountability has come back to America. Not, uh, not justice. Justice is uh, still waiting in the wings. She's waiting to make sure the coast is clear, but Accountability is a prelude to the work that has to be done so that justice can return to America. And in honor 
of George Floyd, I'm going to play you the track I was preparing several weeks ago with Frederic Irak, the French realist, and I hope you will listen and think of what happened and realize that the verdict is just just the first first step. never forget Floyd's last words, the last words of Mr. Floyd, a poem I unfortunately found. But with these words, if they echo in our minds and we retain them, then they will give us the fuel, give us the fuel, grist for our mills, so that we can continue the struggle that our forefathers our forefathers, the founders of this country, struggled. The struggle for freedom. The struggle for freedom from oppression. Freedom from prejudice. Freedom from bigotry. That is the freedom our founding fathers founded this nation on. And the struggle is every day. Every day in your life, in my life, we can do justice. We cannot ignore. As the bystanders pr proved during Floyd's murder, a camera, a, high, a smartphone, just your eyes and your ears, just witness. Not everyone has to step in and stop something from happening. It's a, it's a risk and it's dangerous. But we can all witness 
we can all bear witness. I believe the Bible even says that we shall. So thank you for listening to my podcast. I'm, I'm sorry I expressed my feelings earlier, but I am vindicated in my anger now that, that not justice but accountability has been rendered in America. And today is a historic day, April 20th, 2021, is the day that justice stirred and looked like she was going to stand up on her feet again. And for that, I am truly, truly grateful. And I am grateful that I no longer have to feel such shame at my nationality because I know that Americans are good people. Difficult people, but good people. And they do stand for justice. We all, in ourselves, we carry justice in our hearts. Because that is where American justice beats. In our hearts. Thank you for listening. And I promise to be a little quicker with the next one. That's all for me. And my friend, Jaye Rome Parker Wells who accompanied the found poem and who provides all the sound for me now in my mind and in the background of what I say. Thank you so much. Have a good day.